In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey everybody, welcome to The Counter. Uh, wild card weekend. It's going to be really exciting. Six six games, and we have a really fun show. Uh, Mina Kimes, the wonderful Mina Kimes from ESPN, is dropping by to indulge us in a little QB draft. We're going to draft all 14, or I guess if you're including some injuries, we don't know if Alex Smith is going to play or Jared Goff is going to play. There's, there's other quarterbacks in the mix. Uh, we went through and drafted them all. That was really fun. And Trubisky is really like a half a quarterback. <laughs> Poor man. Get the Mitch Trubisky slander in under 30 seconds. I like it. Good job, Good job Steven. New, new world record. Um, and then we're going to break down each of the games. Uh, Charles McDonald and Steven Ruiz are... NFL experts uh, broke down the matchups that they think will sort of dictate how each game is played. Uh, And we'll look at some other things that we're thinking about, about each game and the betting lines and sort of try to suss out how it's going to go. Wildcard weekend is always kind of weird. That's what makes it fun. But we will do our best to predict how it's going to go. But first, I, uh, you know, I think none of us are as focused as we would be usually on the NFL right now, uh, given everything going on in the country. Uh, and, and I think for us, you know, certainly Stephen and I were blogging together through Colin Kaepernick's um, decision to peacefully protest during the national anthem uh, when it first started and nobody even noticed it. Uh, he was just sitting by himself during the anthem and it went entirely unnoticed the first time he did it. And then he eventually talked to Nate Boyer, of Army Ra- a former Army Ranger who'd played in the NFL, to get his opinion on how to do it uh, more respectfully. And that's how he ended up kneeling. And then he ended up talking about the causes that he was trying to spark a discussion about. Uh, and Stephen and I spent a lot of time writing about this. And, I, <laughs> uh, you know, Charles was... Uh, early in his writing career then, but uh, certainly very active on Twitter and very involved in this discussion and everything that swirled around Colin Kaepernick. And yesterday, as everything was unfolding at the U.S. Capitol, uh, as a a mob of uh, Donald Trump-inspired terrorists broke into uh, the Capitol and looted it uh, and trying to disrupt the seating of a new president, uh, many people were tweeting. I mean, obviously, Twitter was on fire yesterday, but many people were pointing out like, hey, <laughs> how do you feel about Colin Kaepernick's protest now? Is it really uh, the, it was, I mean, it was framed at the time as almost violent uh, It was uh, the, the reactions to it. And Donald Trump, of course, led that uh, that inflaming talk. Uh, he was the one who 
I mean, I, I can't, what did he call NFL players? Bastards sons who should be sons of bitches, uh, sons of bitches who should be uh, fired, fired. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is him. Uh, so all of this, like, uh, you know, there was some surprise, some shock and all yesterday from people. But uh, if you were writing about Colin Kaepernick and thinking about Colin Kaepernick four years ago, uh, when Donald Trump still was, I mean, was was just getting into his his presidency, and uh, this none of this was shock. Like this is where it was headed. These are the people who were shouting at us. Uh, they were writing threats. To, I mean, I don't I don't know about you guys, but certainly in my uh, you know I have a Facebook page where I was posting articles at the time, and it just became a place for people. Uh, to say the most vile stuff. And I mean, it all like this feels like an NFL story in some ways. Like it feels like this was all this movement. So much of it was inflamed by uh, the reaction to Kaepernick. Uh, so I'm just wondering how you guys sort of uh, felt yesterday. And uh, as you were watching this unfold, Stephen, it's not very far from where you live. Uh, you know, you were literally seeing a lot of the people uh, doing this and that were in D.C. for this reason. So uh, what was your reaction to this, guys? I mean, for me, it was just like like what you said, you know, it, Trump calls NFL players who kneel sons of bitches. And then in that video he released yesterday, that I'm pretty sure Twitter is taken down by now. He said, we love you to the people who just broke into the Capitol and, uh, you know, vandalized the place. And I mean, if you're not a moron, it's pretty easy to see where the hypocrisy lies. And, and you know, you, you can just look at pictures of, uh, you know, unarmed people getting violently arrested and attacked by the police that uh, Black Lives Matter rally compared to like cops literally taking selfies with uh, Trump supporters who barged into the Capitol yesterday. It's like everything that you could believe about basically white supremacy, like white indoctrination. It's all on display for you right there yesterday. And if you still don't want to see it or believe that it's a thing or white privilege is a thing, then you probably are just on the side of the people who are uh, barging to the Capitol at this point. So, uh, I mean, it, it I, I was kind of numb to the whole thing because, you know, I'm black. It's been my whole life. I've seen stuff, not, not like that yesterday, but, you know, right. seeing the hypocrisy of, uh, you know, the way white people and black people get treated in this country. So I was a little numb to that, but like the overall, scene of people break into a government building and you know with honestly like i think it was at the end of the day yesterday it was like 13 people had been arrested yeah it might be up to 50 it might be up to 15 uh which somebody tweeted that the first time that they ever did the jail at veteran stadium uh during an eagles game they arrested 20 people so right uh, right it tells you Yeah, and I, I literally just saw a tweet from uh, Ken uh, DeLeonon, who works for NBC, who said, Congressman Tim Ryan just told reporters that as many as 60 Capitol Police officers were injured, including 15 hospitalized and one in critical condition. Many were hit in the head with lead pipes. And, like, nothing happened Same. to these people. It's crazy. Like, if, if you, if, if, like, if you, 
if those people were black or if those people were brown, like we would be talking about like a massacre on the front steps of the Capitol. But since they're not, they get to barge in and take pictures and hurt people and not any real significant, like no, no consequence of significance has happened so far outside of uh, that one lady being killed. Yeah. And on top of the hypocrisy, which is like evident, even when like just comparing it to the reaction to Colin Kaepernick's protest and whatever this was, because it wasn't a protest. On top of that, it this just illustrates what Colin Kaepernick was saying right. at the time that there are point. two yeah, there are two justice systems. Basically, like I think Kaepernick said there are bodies in the street and people are just getting paid time off. And that's doesn't just extend to cops, it extends to white people in general. Like these people barged into one of the most important buildings in the country. And like the dude that the dude that was on uh Pelosi's uh, desk. Right. He's like walking around right now, just in the streets. We have pictures of him in like clear HD pictures of him. We can identify who he is. It doesn't matter. Like he's took her mail. Like I, I it just everything Kaepernick said, like it was obvious at the time that he had a point and everything he was saying was right. But like, how do you look at what happened yesterday and then look back on his comments and be like, nah, I disagree. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just, I could not stop thinking about Tamir Rice yesterday. Uh, just a kid at a playground twirling around a toy gun, uh, and a cop shows up and shoots him. And and to see, I mean, there were just hundreds of images yesterday where cops had guns pointed and every reason to fear for their own all the things you hear they're fearing for their own safety they, they need to do what's right like that happened time after time yesterday and uh the the people the 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 insurrectionists were able to just go forward and uh you know there's this famous picture going around of the guy in a stupid trump beanie who stole the lectern and he's just walking out and waving uh like they're not even trying to hide. Uh, none of these people are even, they are open about what they did and that they got away with it. Uh, and that's, yeah. again, that was Kaepernick's point. That was what he was trying to say. And it got swallowed by this false fake fury from people that usually spent the national anthem going to the bathroom or buying more beer. Uh, the, all of a sudden it mattered so much that they couldn't even listen to his message, which by the way, he delivered quite carefully. And uh, I mean, I mean, he, if you go back to the first interviews with Colin Kaepernick, he was very clear on what he was saying and what he, and the message he wanted to, to put out there and, and the discussions he wanted to start. All of this was very carefully planned uh, and people just ignored it because they didn't like uh, the way he delivered it. And, uh, you know, it's it's very easy to see how we got from there to here. Um, well, I'll add to that. Like they 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 didn't ignore it because they didn't like the way he delivered it. They ignored it because they didn't like what he was saying. Also. Right. Right. It really had. They just acted like that's the reason they didn't like how it was presented. Yeah. 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 And I mean, the, the stuff like with the cops reactions to everything yesterday, it's just I, I kind of got a dark laugh out of it because I remember one time in Baltimore, uh, I was driving and my tail light was out. I had no idea it was out and I got pulled over and, you know, the cop 
asked me if I had drugs in my car, like if I've been drinking. And then at the end, he said, you know, I've been trained to use this on people like you. And it was literally just a taillight. And he was patting his gun when he said that. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, This is this is a bit extreme because I haven't really done anything wrong. Uh, My taillight was just out. I'm literally like 10 minutes away from home. Uh, And to see the reaction of people like taking pictures with police shields yesterday and jacking police shields off of officers and then using those to break into the, the, like break through the windows and then climb through. I was like, Whoa, like, you know, like, like Bomani Jones will always tweet like hashtag two Americas. And that, that's like, that was yesterday that the reaction from the police to that was like, if, if you can't see the difference in, in, in how, different groups of people are policed in this country, then, you know, I, I really got nothing left to say to you. Yeah. I mean, white America could ignore it for so long. And that's to Stephen's point, like white America, uh, they just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want the, they, they liked the status quo. They didn't want to hear it. And that's the thing. That's why it came up in the NFL the way it did. The NFL is 70% black. There are few other places in America where that is the the mix and where there's a majority black and then the crowd is majority white. And it's, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know if there are, have actually been deep studies, but certainly the loudest factions of uh, the people that I was hearing from when the Kaepernick stuff was first starting, they were suburban and rural NFL fans uh, that just had never had never even thought about this before. And they had never seen it before because they segregate, uh, they self segregate themselves. And now they had, they had to Colin Kaepernick made them look at it, uh, tried to tried to make them look at it. And now it happened <laughs> literally uh, in the Capitol. I mean, all of this took place unfolded yesterday uh, and and nobody should be able to ignore it anymore, but they will, uh, because like Stephen said, they don't want to hear the message. Uh, another important thing I think we should bring up is that uh, so much of this is born from people not uh, seeking out uh, the right information from not trusting real sources from going to places for quote unquote news that confirms their biases uh, for relying on Facebook friends or their Twitter bubble uh, to get information. And uh, it has really created an alternate reality. I mean, Donald and, and Donald Trump is the leader of that, right? He is the one trying to create it. And he has media psychophants uh, up, up and down the spectrum. I mean, Fox news is obviously guilty of this. Uh, so uh, I, I think for, for us, I, I mean, you guys, I think so many of our listeners trust Stephen and Charles because they're really careful about uh, the information. They really study hard. They really try to get it right. Uh, and, you know, I hope that everyone will apply that to news from now on. Uh, you know, go to the people who are actually there and reporting on what's happening and not uh, don't rely on memes or the personalities that uh, come up with, you know, the the pithy sayings. That, that make you feel better about yourself, uh, you know, actually try to dig in on the news uh, and, and get the real information. Cause that's, I mean, this yesterday was, it's just an, un, it's a movement untethered from reality. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's incredibly dangerous. 
Yeah, that's the big thing. It's like there is no basis in any reality for any. It's like I remember I was watching Fox News after uh, uh, after Joe Biden was announced uh, president elect, or I think it was like as he was it was like clearing up that he was going to win. And I remember I was watching Fox News and they had this dude on with it, it was the Tucker Carlson show. And within five minutes of the show starting, uh, like he had someone come on the show that called Joe Biden a radical dictator. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> like, it, like it just and just imagine like if you watch that every single day, you have right. no idea what's going on. And, you know, it, it, it's it's weird, like to see that with. Uh, you know, people who will say, you know, there, yesterday there was someone wrote on the one of the walls in the Capitol, murder the media. Well, you know, there's some media you like because you're here and I'm sure someone's been feeding you these lies. So it's not murder all the media. It's just murder the media that doesn't state things that align with my reality. But your reality isn't aligned with any reality. So uh, it, it's it, it's just terrifying. Yeah. It's like me with PFF. When they say things I like, I like them. When they don't, I, I have a problem with the whole organization. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's. Good luck transitioning. Yeah. Let's just try to let's try to talk some football now. I guess. Uh, Transition. Sean Watson. <laughs> yeah. Play some music, uh, Adam. Um, it, it, put some uh, put some nice uplifting music in here for us. Thanks. Uh, there's a Deshaun Watson I me ru- I rumor. Me too. <laughs> you want me to just like drop a really hot take as like a palate cleanser real quick? Like, there should be an age cap for referees. We should not be letting old men be referees. There's my thing. That might be ageist, but I don't, uh, we don't let like 50 year old p- people play football anymore. So why are they? keeping up with football players. All right, let's there transition. <laughs> All right. All right. Deshaun Watson. Uh, there's a rumor that he may ask for a trade. Uh, I, we don't know where the rumor is coming from or what, why we would give it any credence, but uh, we decided it's an interesting thing just to talk about because it would be by far uh, to our minds. If Deshaun Watson actually got traded, it would be the biggest trade in NFL history of, of a, a standing player. Obviously there have been huge trades of draft capital, uh, but uh, Deshaun Watson would be the best player ever traded in his prime. I mean, I guess you could maybe argue that Eric Dickerson, but running backs don't matter. We didn't. Re- nobody realized that in '87. But uh, but yeah, Watson, it would be huge. Is this? I mean, does this have any chance of happening, guys? And if it did, what what would it take? Like, what would somebody need to give up to get a quarterback? That I mean, we have stated that Deshaun Watson and Stephen picked him as the offensive player of the year. We've said that if the MVP was really about the most valuable player to his team, it would be Deshaun Watson. Like we are incredibly high on Watson. Uh, he's top five, no question in the NFL, maybe top three, depending on how you see it. Uh, so what would it actually take? I mean, and, and could it actually happen? Uh, I don't think it will happen just because I, I think if you're if you're Nick Casario, you just get hired like the hardest thing in the world to find is an elite quarterback and you have one. So as much as it would help you to trade him and get those resources back, uh, because I'm assuming like if you trade Watson, I I was joking on Twitter, like if the Falcons want to trade for Watson, like let's give him three first round picks and I'll uh, let Deshaun Watson name my first child. So uh, <laughs> I was going to ask I, you if you had news on that, like if there was. Oh no, like, no. What, oh, okay, good. good. No. Also, if you're uh, trading Watson, you're trading Watt too, because it doesn't make sense to keep him and not 
your franchise quarterback. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think I think JJ is 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 gone regardless. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. But but Watson, like if you're if you're actually going to think about trading him, you, you, you got to start with like three or four first round picks because he's only 24 years old. Uh, he just put together like an elite season, uh, the best season of his career on a, a hor- horrible team. So like you don't even have worries about like, can he survive playing on a bad team? Because we just saw it this year, but the Texans were so bad that <laughs> his production didn't even matter, which is kind of hard to do when, when you <laughs> when you talk about the numbers that he put up. Uh you know, he led the league in passing yards, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, led the league in yards per attempt, led the league in yards per completion. And, and they went, like, what, four and 12, uh, which is just honestly pretty impressive that they were able to pull that off. Uh, but he's just so good and so young that it, it would take multiple first round picks, like more than we've ever seen before, probably. And. You know, it, it might be tempting if you're Nick Casario to do that because you you just get a full reset on what's going on in Houston. Like you still got to deal with some cap issues for for next season, but like you're getting a complete teardown. But you got to keep the quarterback, and and I think that reason, like if if Watson played like receiver or uh, defensive tackle, when you're still talking about the level of dominance, I think he'd probably be a pretty good candidate to get traded. But since he plays quarterback, it's going to be a little bit harder. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, like there's a point of diminishing returns when you're trading for a player, or like assessing a player's value. Like Khalil Mack, when he got traded, no one was denying that the Bears were trading for a great player who would like transform the pass rush. But people were saying like, "Oh, you can't pay too much for Khalil Mack." That's not true. There's a salary <laughs> you can pay too much for a player. But mm-hmm. I feel like the opposite is kind of true for a quarterback. Or for draft picks, like there's a point where, like, say a team offers three draft first round picks. I feel like that's not much different from five first round picks just because five years from now, like, do you, so much is going to change for a team, even for a player. Like, with Carson Wentz, three years, his career totally changed. So for me, I don't think there's even a package you could put together to trade for Watson. Like you, you say, oh, five first round picks. I'm still saying no to that because there's no guarantee one that I'm going to be able to replace them within that five years, or two that those five first round picks are going to turn into anything resembling his value. And then if you keep adding on, I'm just it, like it doesn't do anything for me. A, a first round pick seven years from now doesn't like do anything for me as a GM when I might lose my job in three years. So I like realistically, unless you're throwing in a quarterback who's just as good as him or close to it, I'm not making that deal. No matter how many first round picks you, you offer me. Okay. What, what about the most obvious scenario? I, I, or like the one that is sort of staring us in the face. If the Jaguars said, called and said, we'll give you the number one this year and, and the right to pick Trevor Lawrence plus some other stuff. Uh, does that move the needle at all for you? No, uh, not really. Because I I know I have Deshaun and I know how good he is. So I like even as as highly touted as Trevor is, and I I do think that Trevor is probably going to end up being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, that's still not certain, and Deshaun has already proved right. it. So that would not yeah. be that enticing to me. Right, and the thing is, like, we know how good Deshaun can be. We don't know how good he's going to become. And I like I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's as good as Mahomes, right? In a yeah. year or two, or even like you can he's make the argument. Now. Yeah, it's it's right. impossible to really 
uh, even try to figure it out. I mean, I think you did a post on that earlier this year, like where you, when you try to watch them, like you're just watching guys in such different situations. It's not really a fair evaluation. So, uh, yeah. How about, uh, how about if the Rams offered John Wolford though? <laughs> You could, I think you mean to take that deal, but I, yeah, I'm not taking that deal. Get the legs, get the legs. Uh, yeah, that's my transition to bringing in Mina, and uh, we're gonna do a fun draft where we pick through all the uh, playoff quarterbacks. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Okay, now we're bringing in uh, Mina Kimes from ESPN. Mina, how are you? Hi, um, delighted to be here with uh, you guys. Nice to meet you, Chris. But of course, Charles and Stephen are frequent guests on my podcast. So how the tables have turned. Sons of Lenny. We're sons of Lenny. Sons of, uh, you're in my coaching tree. That's, that's self-aggrandizing. I don't want to be self-aggrandizing. But, uh, no, go ahead. I'm older than you, so I feel like I could say that. It, I think it looks worse for you, actually. So now we're good. It's like yeah. a real Bill Belichick situation going on here. Yeah, like I'm Bill O'Brien in yeah, this situation. I mean, I'm not doing anything for your reputation. Charles is a little bit better. I'll say this now. Uh, Lenny ain't my daddy. With the amount of uh, 23 jokes Lenny has made in me over the past couple of years, he is not my daddy. I, mean, <laughs> I think it very much makes him. Uh, <laughs> no, anyway. that's that's actually Tom Brady. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, let's not do this. Let's uh, let's focus on the on the matter at hand, <laughs> which is uh, playoffs, right? The uh, playoffs. 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 Uh, yeah, the, court, the playoffs start this weekend, and we wanted to have Mina on to talk about some football things and uh, do a draft of all the quarterbacks in the playoffs. Did we uh, decide what the order of this is going to be? Yeah, I'm giving Mina the first pick, and I'm giving you the second yes. pick. And Steven gets the third pick. He's been around a long what? time. So, so that Are we doing a snake draft, at least? Like, do I get no, two picks in a row? snake oh, draft. No. Four of us. Four. Don't make this complicated. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Uh, yeah, so Charles ranked the QBs, but we'll we'll see we'll see how closely this goes to his tiers. Uh, mm. So Mina, what? Who, who is your first pick? If you, okay, so you just have- I want to establish kind of the basis of this. We're Ba- we're we're doing separate from context, right? Team situation. We're not like picking who's the be- who's most likely to win. We're picking if if I was in the playoffs and I could have any of these quarterbacks, who would I choose? Yes, right. correct. Okay, so this is a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so we're going purely based on ability, talent, everything we've seen thus far. Yes. Well, then the obvious choice is John Wolf. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, so with That's the number one. I I felt like that was too on the nose for me. Okay, with the number one overall pick, yours truly is taking Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I don't feel like terrible pick. F. <laughs> um, well, so I'll add, you let's know, debate. I, let's debate. yeah, let's get into it. Well, I mean, like you know, there, there's a clear, I think, top three tier of quarterbacks in the NFL right now, based on how they've been playing over the last just recently, and um, I think you can definitely. And probably should make a case that Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. But um, I also am of the unsubstantiated uh, belief that Andy Reid and Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy and the Chiefs offense have been effing around all season. I'm uh, right there with you. Are you there? Okay. Is that, is that I don't, I, I, okay. I don't want to, I feel like 
it's not like they're not trying to win, but they had Patrick Mahomes split out wide. <laughs> it's going in jet motion. <laughs> yeah, like like it, that was honestly it's one of my favorite plays of the season. Our friend mutual friend Nate Tice posted the video where you can show Mahomes raising his hand and calling for the ball, and uh, in real time that just cracked me up. Um, especially because Mahomes is like the most athletic unathletic person or unathletic athletic person in the NFL but in any case we've seen enough from him in the playoffs and and this season to be fair um, to have certain expectations for his performance and his ceiling and what he's capable of and also I think his age makes him the clear number one overall pick you saying that there's a clear top three just made me realize like what what's going on here with me being the third pick. You guys are trying to make me pick a certain quarterback. Oh yeah, that's absolutely. Do you I, disagree? I don't, third, I don't know who that third one is. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think Wolford. I know who you think the third one. Is. Okay, yeah, Wolford. You know um, the person you think is not. I think you're assuming I think it's Russell Wilson. And spoiler alert, kids, I don't have Russell Wilson in my top. Oh, three. okay. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not who I thought she she meant. Yeah. I thought you meant a certain quarterback that I have not said the nicest things about in the last year. A well, Bills yeah, quarterback. Well, let's, uh, let, let's, let's power through this. Uh, All right, we'll see how it unfolds. Yeah, second got pick, it, I'm going to take uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the guy's just been like unconscious this year. Uh, he's, I think he's probably going to win MVP at this point. Uh, just when you look at what he's done uh, over the past couple of weeks, compared to, I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Patrick Mahomes are playing bad, but they're just not up to the standard maybe that we're used to. Uh, so, just when you look at how he's got that Packers offense humming, uh, just took him one year to get that down and get back to the Rodgers that we're used to. So, uh, I'm going to roll with him. He's still really, really good despite all the time we have spent tweeting about him over the past few years. All right, so I'm going to give the boring pick. I, I'm going to pick Russell Wilson. Ooh. And it's not – I, I got to pick Russell Wilson in this case. And it's not based on how he's been playing over the last month because that is concerning. And I I think we've seen the bad version of Russell Wilson over the last month and a half, maybe a little bit longer than that. But I feel like he's a quarterback where it doesn't matter what's going on around him. It doesn't matter what the scheme is, how the run-pass splits are on early downs. He's going to get the most out of the what's around him. And – that is what makes me choose him over another quarterback like Josh Allen, for instance, who is outperforming Wilson right now, but he also has everything like perfect around him. And we have no idea what this would look like if it, if it wasn't in Buffalo. That's fair. That's fair. Um, do we, do you guys want to have the why is Russell Wilson been so bad conversation? Cause I'm, I want your opinion on it. I think. <laughs> um, you know, this is something that's come up. A lot over the last few weeks, of course, as the Seahawks offense has struggled and being the resident Seahawkologist at ESPN, people have asked me, is it, you know, is it Schottenheimer's fault? It's probably Schottenheimer's fault, right? We like to blame Brian Schottenheimer or is it Wilson or is it the pass pro or is it the receivers or, you know, they haven't adjusted to defenses playing too high against them. And my answer is all of the above, frankly, when you watch um, Wilson is missing throws he was making in the first part of the season. Like, I'll just, you know. Teams are able to throw deep on too high. It's not impossible. Um, and they're not, you know, failing to dial up um, concepts that are designed to beat that sort of coverage. But in some cases, the wide receivers aren't getting open against them. In some cases, like on, you know, like deep crossers, Tyler Lackett, the pass pro isn't holding up. And then in some cases, Wilson's missing. So 
I don't have a simple answer for you, but Stephen, I do think like we've seen enough out of him over the last, you know, years his career, but also even this season to believe he's capable of getting hot know. at the right time. It's, you know, one thing he does, especially, and I think this is relevant against that type of defense, is he'll start using his legs as necessary, and so I think he should be able to do enough to get this offense back on track. And I feel like with him, it like just turns in an instant, like he's playing poorly for a stretch and then all of a sudden he's a God again. And it goes both ways too. Like at the beginning of the season, I think at one point he had more touchdown passes than incompletions. And this was like late September and a part of me, like, and I think a lot of people that were watching knew that it wasn't sustainable. Like he wasn't going to keep hitting all these deep passes and it was eventually going to level off, but I don't think it really leveled off. It just went the other way. And where he's at right now in his career, I think it's somewhere, not in the middle. I think it's closer to good Russell Wilson, but I think it's somewhere in the middle there. So why is he that way? Like, why is he so volatile? I feel like it's just like when you watch him play, there's just not a, like a grand process to like how he approaches quarterback play. Like when you think about Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, it's just like such a meticulous approach down from, Mm -hmm you know, the drop sinking with, you know, all the route break and stuff like that. And Russell, you know, he's got like a little hero ball to him. So maybe it's just like the style of play. Obviously, you're going to get like those big games at the start of the season, but you're going to have a few stinkers in there too. And I think what's so impressive about Russell is that he's able to play that way without like having bad games just compound on each other and and really add up throughout the season. So, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like this it's just more of like, you know, this is kind of what comes with the the style of play. And, and sometimes there are going to be some costs with that. Yeah. They've also played really good defenses, by the way. I feel yeah. like that's kind of be, like people have overrated the Seahawks defense based on the schedule and they've underrated the Seahawks offense. Um, now, of course, they're playing the Rams in the first round, which is the best pass defense in the NFL. But, um, you know, they, they, I think at this point we might be a little bit low on Wilson. Yeah. All right, so I have the number four pick. Uh, I'm going with Lamar Jackson, uh, and not just because I live in Baltimore and I want my neighbors to to be friendly with me. Uh, I, I just think he's, you know, obviously puts defenses in in terrible positions, and we've seen that the last couple of weeks since he's been back. Uh, you know, he looks a lot more comfortable. I'm stealing one of Stevens' observations, but since the Ravens lost Nick Boyle and have not played with two tight ends on the field. It's actually been better. There's been more room for Lamar to operate and he's throwing the ball better. So uh, he's my choice. Interesting. I knew who he was going to pick, but I still, I still expected to hear Josh Allen's name there. Am I wrong for thinking that? I, I would take Allen. I mean, I, I, right. I understand about the context and Josh's has been perfect, but he's also, and this is like, obviously I've not, I was not a believer the first two seasons. Um, he's making like insane throws, like, and not making the dumb mistakes he made for the early part of his career. Um, with Lamar, like, you know, I, I feel like I'm trying to mentally set my own expectations somewhere because I'm like, I, I don't think I can buy, I can live or endure another off season of the Lamar Jackson uh, playoff narrative. But uh, one thing I'd also throw into there, and uh, we are actually commentating NFL Live is 
on the Ravens Titans game. So I've been studying the Ravens a lot over the last few days. Um, the offensive line is just playing so much better. And, and some of that mm-hmm. is um, a lot of it actually is schematic, but uh, they've just, there was so much uncertainty around the line, the beginning of the season. And they were, you know, moving guys around constantly. And it feels like they've kind of settled down and Lamar has been the beneficiary of that. So here's my, like, like I'm not owned yet. Take on Josh Allen. <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm still holding out on this L, but yeah, I, I mean, I pick? am I the picker now? You yeah, have Okay. So yeah. let's talk about, I'm taking Josh Allen. Let's talk about Josh Allen. Go ahead. All right, let's do it. Okay. So. I feel like one of the one of the hard things about studying someone on film is that we can't tell the difference between like an extra 0.5 seconds in the pocket. Like we can't see that when we're watching film. But like when we look at PFF splits and stuff, we could see how big of a difference that makes. And I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but when I've been watching them over the last month, it seems like he's just standing in that pocket and like just has all day. He could do his taxes in the pocket and. His receivers are obviously getting open. Stephon Diggs was, is going to get open no matter what. Right. Brian Dayball is going to scheme up open, open receivers. The The line has been great. That goes to the pass protection thing. So it's just so hard to really evaluate him based on this one year where everything goes perfect. And I'm not so sure that this is the Josh Allen we're going to get going forward. And that's why I would be a little hesitant to pay him all the money the Bills are about to pay him. All right. I'm not brave enough to have these takes anymore. So, Steven. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> Scared to compete. Corbin, back me up so here. Hard. It's so hard Help to me. evaluate guys separate from their context, which is what we're trying to do here, right? And you're absolutely right. But part of the reason he's not under pressure, too, is because teams are afraid to blitz him because he's been That's so much point. better at diagnosing the blitz this season. Yeah. I'm not like a Josh Allen stan now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to call what I see and – and take my L's and, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I think Lamar versus Josh is, in, is totally debatable based on what we've seen over the last month, though. I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. All right, who's next? It's, it's Charles. I, All uh, right. And I'm taking something that I would be stunned at myself for saying like three years ago. I'm going to go with Ryan Tannehill here. Mm. Uh, I'm Maybe it's a little bit high. I mean, we're talking about taking him over Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Philip Rivers and some of the established names, but – you know, I think that when we look at Ryan Tannehill and the Titans offense and to just kind of throw a lot of it at scheme, I mean, which has a, plays a big role in it. I mean, he wouldn't be lighting it up like he is without Arthur Smith being a boy genius with this stuff. But, uh, like, Tannehill is playing really good football uh, since, like, since last year whenever he uh, started playing quarterback for the Titans. And... Like, you just look at that last throw that he had to put the Titans in field goal range versus Houston. I know it's like a clean pocket, and A.J. Brown's a, a great receiver that makes things a little bit easier, but he just flung that thing right down the field. Uh, it was a perfect throw to get them in field goal range to win the game, and he's turned into someone that, like, not can only work the system to, like, the capacity that needs to be worked, like, just running through Arthur Smith's play with great efficiency, but he's also turned into someone that can make plays on his own and uh you just like really seen him blossom to like a legitimate playmaker over the past uh two seasons so i mean i've been like legitimately impressed with some of the film that he's put out some of the throws that he makes uh it's still you know fairly easy for him with the the way the offense is set up and having derrick henry behind him helps a lot but just in this vacuum uh i think he's a 
pretty good quarterback, so I'm going to take him six overall. Steven, I know, I know you're going to have something to say about that. <laughs> no, the funny thing about like Tannehill is when he was in Miami, I feel like the film people people were like very high on him and thought he was underrated. And then it's kind of like switched where the nerds are all like, yes, Ryan Tannehill, the EPA darling. And now the film people are like, all right, let's not go this far. But I think he's always been like this middle tier. And I think he's improved beyond that, where he's either a top 10 quarterback or fringe top 10 quarterback. So in a vacuum, I like, I don't, I'm looking at the list of playoff teams right now and I have no idea who I'm going to pick next. So I can't hate on Tannehill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> who are you gonna pick do we need to like let you be on the clock for a little bit no nah, i'm good i got it i got it unless mina has some Tannehill thoughts no i agree with what charles said um he was not he's there's one quarterback ahead of him in my rankings who i'll um, be curious to see if steven picks so steven I'm going to take Tom Brady. Yeah, I had Brady above Tannehill. Go ahead. <laughs> and like three months or two months ago, I would not have picked Tom Brady. I would have picked Phillip Rivers. But it seems like they've adjusted the offense enough where he can be Tom Brady again. And just over the last four months, he's just been killing. I think he's been the top quarterback by EPA. I think Lamar's second. And I know that if I have Tom Brady, even if my weapons aren't great, we're going to be able to move the ball consistently. I don't know if the big plays are going to be there if we don't have guys like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and now Antonio Brown. But I know we're going to be able to at least move the ball a little bit. And Phillip Rivers was would have been my next pick, and he's in that same boat. But Phillip Rivers just – I mean, sometimes it's just hard to watch him. There's other times when he's just dealing and throwing it all over the field. But there's – every couple of weeks he has a game where yeah. he looks washed. Yep, that's what happens when you get old. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna uh, pick. Uh, I'm gonna pick an old guy at number eight then, and go with Philip Rivers. Uh, mm. I, I mean, I don't know if I was contemplating Breeze, but uh, Rivers. I mean, he's been good. I, I mean, and, and aesthetically, I love him. It just looks like the ball should never get where it needs to go, and then it it basically usually does get there. Uh, and he's been really good. Uh, so, uh, he's he's my guy. Do you know what it looks like when Philip Rivers like completes a deep pass? It's like the ball is CGI'd. Like there's something that doesn't look natural about the flight of the the throw and how it gets to the receiver, but it does. Uh, um, but it's always been that way. I feel like it was that way when right. he was like That's eighteen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like if, if you go back and watch stuff at uh, NC State, like, it's trippy. Like he's been throwing like that forever, and it just like the <laughs> Looking at where the ball comes out of his hands and seeing like the trajectory of the ball still is just like the ultimate mind leap ever. Mina Mina probably remembers this game, but do you the game when they played the Seahawks, and I think this was in San Diego, it was kind of early in the season, and he threw like three like two corner balls to Antonio Gates in the t- in the end zone, and it took like five minutes for the ball to come down. But it was like perfect and like right outside the reach of the Seahawks defender. And he's been getting it done like that for like a decade now. I don't think he's ever lost to the Seahawks, actually. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure he has a perfect record against Seattle. Um, But you're so right, by the way, like this season, he's been inconsistently bad. Like there have been games, uh, you know, where he has looked very confident. Um, You know, he's he's a very like intelligent quarterback. And um, I think the ascent of Jonathan Taylor over the last few weeks has kind of taken our eye off of like his ups and downs a bit. But um, 
Yeah, I I, 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 I had him below the guy I'm going to take next, who I feel like might be a divisive pick. I'm back up, right? Yep. Okay. Yes. Okay. I think this might be a divisive pick, but I'm taking Baker here. Ooh. Mm, I knew it. I knew she was picking. I was debating between him and Breeze. Um, I so obviously two very different quarterbacks. Uh, Breeze, I think, it, just kind of thinking about the playoffs and thinking about these guys in a vacuum. Breeze, they're, they're both beneficiaries in many ways of the play calling and the people around them. Um, with Breeze, you get, I think, the decision making. You know that he can execute under pressure when he's looked good this season, that accuracy in the short and intermediate areas of the field. Baker sort of is opposite in some ways. Um, but one thing that I in this kind of ugly game against Pittsburgh that really jumped out to me as being something that could be useful in this sort of vacuum we've discussed is that Baker can use his legs. And that's really why they want, honestly, against the Steelers, the JV Steelers. So um, I, I think losing Batonio, it's gonna, we might see a bad Baker performance because of the pressure and it's going to mess with all the things they do that make his life so much easier. But I think he's shown enough, especially over the last few weeks of the season, the improvement he's shown um, makes me want to take him over, you know, 85 year old Drew Brees. <laughs> yeah. I would like to argue that the only, like all of his good plays in that game were made with his legs. Like the Steelers are playing a lot of two man. So that just makes it easier to scramble. But if anyone wants to see a quarterback like put up good numbers and produce, and I think he had like an 82 PFF grade, watch the all 22 of that of that game. Like Kevin Stefanski was drawing up open receivers every play, and Baker was hitting the throws, but the, it was just like micro level accuracy where he was like forcing the receiver to adjust, and it was preventing yards after catch. But he like left at least two touchdowns on the field. Oh, God, and no Stefanski this week. Uh, well, anyways, I, look, we're talking about him versus weekend at Bernie's. No, I agree with you. I would take I would take Baker over Drew Brees right now. All right, well, yeah. it's not your pick. It's Charles's. Yeah, that's why I was growing, because I wanted to take Baker over Drew Brees, but I think I'm just going to roll Brees as disgusting as it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, he can still do, like, all the – I feel like he can still do all, like, the baseline stuff where he's not just going to come in and, like, completely tank the offense which is at this point in the draft i guess that's good enough you know because i think we're about to we're about to hit some real heavy hitters when it comes to shooting yourself in the foot on offense (laughs) i think i'll I'll take the last guy before we do that (laughs) uh guys before we get to the next tier just a little bit of breaking news jared goff is going through drills without issue live so consider that all right so john wolford off the board I asked for a sound drop of a wolf's howl, and we still I still haven't gotten it, but I want that. Because I, I know that he's going to be a part of the NFL story for the next couple of years. Did we all watch? Did we all watch? I watched. Okay. After watching, how justified was I in my love? Which, by the way, you know, it's not... I never said this guy should be, a, you know, NFL starter or anything. I, I've just said he's pretty good. Mm-hmm. He's definitely one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. And when we're talking about a guy who was not even supposed to make the practice squad, but um, sorry, context for people. I don't know why I'm like assuming everyone knows. Um, so last year I worked on the Rams preseason team and the quarterbacks were Blake Borders was the backup. Brandon Allen was his backup and had been with the organization for a while and just started games, a couple of games in Cincinnati. And then they brought in Wolford like as a, on a flyer 
and the dude took Brandon Allen's job and and I'm watching the preseason. I'm like, I kind of think this guy's better than Bortles. Am I crazy? So anyways, that's all I have to say about that. How you feel about him is like how I felt about Minshew coming, like going into the draft where it's like, yeah, like this guy can play, but I don't want to go too overboard where people think like, I think he's like actually great and going to be like a star. But yeah, I agree with you. Like it's clear that he can play. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. He, he can run a little bit. I, that's, I mean, I, I never <laughs> even seen him play uh, before this. So I, I was definitely pleasantly surprised. The other guy, whoever was starting for the Cardinals who came in after him, Strevler. after he got hurt. Oh, yeah. Chris Strevler. Oh, my wolf. God, dude. <laughs> Not as wolf as Nate Sudfield, but uh, that's a completely different topic. All right. Who's up next? Is it me? It's you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm going to take, I'm going to take golf. I'm going to go with golf. And I feel like, and I, I've probably contributed to this, but I feel like golf is a little bit overrated now. Like the dude could throw the ball as well as anyone. I mean, he's underrated. Oh, I, oh, I said overrated. That's probably like a Freudian slip. He's underrated now to the point, like he could throw the ball as well as anyone not named Mahomes and Rogers in this field. Or, and put Allen in there, but I think he's a little more accurate than Allen even still. And we talk about how McVay ba- basically babies him, but I feel like outside of the McVay system, if he had been put in a, a, with a competent co- coaching staff, he would be a better player right now. I don't know if Ooh. you guys agree with that. Hmm. A better player? Then he is right now. No, no. I mean, he'd be a better quarterback. I don't know if the numbers would reflect it because he's in such a quarterback-friendly system, but I think he would be a better player. Like, his process would be better. Yeah, basically develop saying, parts of his game. Okay. Right, right, right. Like, if, if you force him to be a grown-up and play big boy NFL quarterback. Is- <laughs> I wasn't going that far, but yes. <laughs> no, there's, there's, a, that's a, like an, there's an interesting discussion to be had there about quarterbacks and Sean McVay is so good at making Jared Goff worse (laughs) what about like what about Baker does Baker Mayfield fit in that category Steven yeah similar right because he only had a couple years I mean you what you ideally you want the Aaron Rodgers trajectory where he's good and then he gets to coast right right you know what I mean like the reverse you know so that's what we need for Russell Wilson but uh yeah we we should remind everyone who's left and who you took jared goff over oh just uh yeah like it's i'm not picking ben roethlisberger i'm trying to force it where mina has to take ben roethlisberger (sighs) i think i'm up to take Ben. i mean i i think that i have somehow it's roethlisberger trubisky and either alex smith or taylor heineke so just that's that's your pool (laughs) guys i am so scared for alex smith by the way but i'll let's yeah, I mean, the, I'm, I'm picking Roethlisberger uh, largely because, yeah, I'm scared for Alex Smith. And Roethlisberger, he he missed one game. Uh, I think it was because of COVID, right? He, he missed a game and he came back the next game. And Steven, in the middle of the game, was like, Roethlisberger can throw the ball again. So I'm just banking on the fact that he had a week off and maybe he'll be able to throw the ball more than eight yards downfield. And that gives him an advantage over Alex Smith and... Uh, Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, I think that was the Bengals game because I remember it like standing out that his arm like looked liver than Joe Burrow's, and he like said after after the <laughs> fact like, "Oh, I didn't have to practice la- last week, and my arm felt a lot right. better. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should practice going forward." And then Mike Tomlin was like, "Like the hardo football guy, like, nope, you're practicing." And I like, like, why? Like Ben Roethlisberger does not need to practice. What is he getting from from practice right now? 
Mm. A tired arm. <laughs> um, <laughs> after that second half in week 16, where like Ben Roethlisberger could suddenly throw deep again, there's now I feel like this like, oh, well, hey, great. He can do it. He should just try. And it's like he was trying. <laughs> I, I, Steven knows I'm like obsessed with this. Um, but I do think it's possible that after the bye, you might get you might get a little boot, a little jump. But that's only one week. Corman, you're bank- banking on one game. You have to win the next round too. Oh, Tough pull. I mean, we're we're down at the down at the bottom of the draft, man. There's no. All right, this is, that's true. This is not All right, good. who's, who's this next? Position we put Mina in is not. It's not. All right. Enable. So it's down to Mitch Trubisky versus <laughs> Alex Smith slash Taylor Heineke. I I'm gonna take Mitch here, guys. Um, <laughs> Do you know that Alex Smith averaged the lowest air yards per attempt of any quarterback in 15 years? I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> I didn't know that, but if like some weirdo on the street told me, I would believe him too. Um, Heineke kind of looked decent in relief of Dwayne Haskins, right? Um, but that like anyone would have in that game. So Trubisky, look, you know, obviously there's a lot of fool's gold over the last few weeks. I think uh in a baby offense he can do some things he's decent out of play action obviously he's athletic um he's sentient i feel like that works for him so i'm I'm gonna go mitch here he has a full calf on one leg yes (laughs) they they didn't have to rebuild his leg recently my squad is my squad is good though I, I, I mean i like my squad i like where like the discourse went on like this all the the shanahan offense like at this point in the pod we're calling it a baby offense <laughs> uh, <laughs> we need to go uh, further <laughs> yeah so wait did people keep track of their teams yeah i kept track of mine I, yeah i uh, i jotted all this down okay so you got the last pick so you're yeah with the dastardly duo with the washington football team <laughs> alex smith and taylor heineke i mean I, you know I, I was i was the more i thought about it as we were going through the draft i was like man like who would i rather have with the last pick uh and i think i settled on trubisky so i'm a little upset here because you know at least trubisky like he can make something happen with his legs if if like he, if he gets totally desperate he could still do that but I'm just not really sure, like, what real, what real positives like either Smith or Heineke have right now. Like, I think that when you get into this playoff game against Tampa Bay and the way that Todd Bowles blitzes people, like, even if the Bucks defense hasn't been like as good as they were at the start of the season, uh, that just still just spells disaster to me. Uh, and it's not even just like the being able to evade in the pocket that is diminished, but like also the ability to throw downfield. Uh, has been really bad. Like I remember we saw like, I think it's back in 2017. Cause that's when uh, Mahomes was on the bench. Uh, and Alex Smith, like had one of his best years yes. ever. And he's throwing like, it deep, right. Throwing it deep. And he just like straight up cannot do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the balls die on him. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can get this dub this weekend. I think that that would be a really cool story, but there's a reason why he's last in this draft. Uh, also, like Todd Bowles, come just chill out on this week. <laughs> like honestly, I cannot watch three hours of him just blitzing the hell out well, of. Well, he that. has no Devin White, so I feel like he might have to by default. 
That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Devin White, even if he's not playing, could still end up sacking Alex Smith whenever. <laughs> oh, no. Jesus. I hope I'm rooting for Washington for sure. I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's the most chaos. I'm, you know, I always root for chaos, but. So do we run run through the teams real quick? Yeah. Like I'm. I feel like my team has a lot of clout. I have Russ. I have Brady, but I also have Jared Goff. So that kind of like <laughs> a little bit, but. Those two guys, I put up against anybody. Yeah. Uh, so Mina has Mahomes, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Trubisky. Uh, I finished with yeah. Aaron Rodgers, Tannehill, Breeze, Alex Smith, and Taylor Heineke. Steven drafted Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Jared Goff, and Chris drafted Lamar Jackson, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger. So, you know, I, I think that my team is the best, but I'm going to say that. Like hearing those teams back, I'm like, God, none of us did. None of us did. Well. <laughs> I, I have a lot of veteran savvy on my team, though. It's There's a lot of uh, mediocre quarterbacks in the playoffs, I think, is the bigger takeaway. Once you get past that top four or five, it's uh, it's dubious. Yeah. Also, I also think that this list ended up coming out literally the exact same way that I put my quarterback tier. So I, I feel not dumb for once. Oh, wait, no, that's not true because I had a Mitchell Trubisky tier all by himself at the bottom. So <laughs> what, 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 what did you name the tier? It was just the, the Mitch Trubisky, Trubisky tier. tier. Yeah. <laughs> so, so before we came on, I asked Corman if we can do it a bit where from now on, when whenever we say Mitch Trubisky's name, like we bleep it out. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's just a funny concept to me. And I, I want that going forward. The, pro- the problem is we would, end, we would end up having to do it for like Josh Allen. Uh, who else do you say? <laughs> Drew, Locke. Drew, Drew Locke, Baker Mayfield. Like you would just add to the list each week. So that's a good point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like how Mitch Trubisky told everyone to call him Mitchell and everyone just blatantly disregards it all the time. I'm not going to call you Mitchell, bro. Come on. Yeah, we're not going to play your sick games, Mitch. You you actually do it sometimes, Stephen. Like every now and then you show him respect and call him Mitchell. And I, it warms my heart. <laughs> well, the thing is when you like search his name and like photo uh, services and like on NFL.com, like you have to put in Mitchell. So I think I'm just carrying it over from there. Interesting. Uh, all right. Well, Mina, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate having you here and going through this QB draft with us. Uh, how excited are you for this weekend? First, first time, six six wildcard games. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, you know, I was like more excited before the Stefanski-Betonio news because I thought that game was going to be pretty appealing. So as I look at the matchups, I had Dominique Foxworth on my podcast this week. We were talking about which ones were the sexiest. Um, and... I think Ravens, Titans, and Rams, Seahawks are pretty solid. I, you know, we'll see who the Rams are playing quarterback, but the pass defense is obviously star there. But otherwise, it's pretty lopsided. Like, I'd be pretty surprised if Colts, Bills, Washington, Bucks, uh, or Saints, Bears, if we get any upsets. So, kind of you know. Yeah. But we say that we say that every year, and yeah. every year we're wrong. So. Give us a little sneak peek because you're you're uh, doing analysis for the it's Titans Ravens, right? Yes, yes. Which I, I feel like we lucked out, man, on Sunday really afternoon. Did. You can watch it on ESPN Plus. Yeah. Now, what obscure metric do you have? <laughs> like, do you are you going to cite CPOE? Is that the most obscure? What's like? What's an obscure metric? That's um, I invented a new metric called 
S-O-U-L-J-A, which is me smashing the television every time Hollywood Brown drops a <laughs> So we'll see how many soldiers we get. In this. I'm already mad and it hasn't even happened. That's where my state of mind is. I used to love Hollywood Brown and now I despise him. Like not him, obviously. Like I don't really despise him. But every time he drops a pass, it was like there was a different guy that was doing it last year with Lamar. Andrews was always in the playoffs. It feels like every time you can feel the narrative building with every drop and yeah, it, I, yeah. it's infuriating yeah. you can't do it as the, the like how many balls i got dropped last year like eight or nine something like that it's not like a thousand <sighs> yeah five I'm, I'm already mad i'm already mad i'm trying to set expectations low i'm like they really shouldn't win this game you know um, <laughs> but uh yeah no i mean i'm excited i mean i think um you know we'll, we'll see there's always one shocker right yeah. uh people are like what ramps yucks i'm like uh that's not a shocker. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, of the three games I mentioned, what, what about you guys? Uh, of the three I mentioned, which one do you think is most likely to end in an upset? Mm. I, you know, I would love to see the Bears beat the Saints just because of my own biases and hatred towards uh, the Saints. But uh, I don't really think that any of them are like that likely to uh maybe maybe cleveland can do something against pittsburgh if ben just comes out and, and throws an absolute stinker maybe that's the best bet but mm-hmm. uh no no batonio is going to be tough against that yeah. i'm going to stay on brand and i'm going to go colts i feel like no one is giving them a chance they're like the one team that's like actually kind of good it's not like washington against tampa bay or even yeah. chicago where everyone's just like no not a, no chance just because what that Buffalo offense has been doing. I think they're averaging like 47 points over the last three games. Stupid. But like, this is like one of the most well-coached defenses in the league. And if they can just stay sound and DeForest Buckner just has one of those games where he just takes over and dominates and they get another performance like that from a, a defensive end, maybe Houston, I don't know. But if the defense can just maybe force one or two turnovers, then I think Phil Rivers can at least keep him in it. Yeah, I, 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 I think the Colts have a better shot than people are giving it to them. But it's not fun to think about like this Bills yeah. offense getting knocked out in the first round, which I think is why people aren't really giving it much credence. Because I would like to see Buffalo go on a little run just because they're fun to watch. We'll see. Thanks so much for being here, Mina. Appreciate it. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. All right, and we're back. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I, I think I surprised Mina with the uh, Lamar Jackson pick, but I, I wanted to. Uh, I want, she, I, I could tell where she was going with the. Uh, she said something like three players playing at an MVP level, and I, I picked up that uh, she was talking about Josh Allen. Uh, so I wanted to give our guest the, the pick that she wanted, uh, but really I was hoping that we were going to make Stephen pick Josh Allen. That, that's really how it should have gone. Wait, so are you saying that you only pick Lamar over? Over Allen because of, you know, to make it easier for her? No, I pick Lamar because I watched Josh Allen in the playoffs last year and he was tremendous in the first half and then drunk in the second (laughs) in overtime. So let's get another one of those performances, please. I I don't trust Josh Allen, uh, whereas I trust Lamar Jackson. Um, So, all right, let's talk about all these games. We got we got six on the slate. It's going to be wild. Uh, I got a question. Like, does this make do the six games make this better than the divisional round? I feel like the divisional round had been better and like, cause it's the same number of games, but with better teams. But now that we have six games, 
is this a better weekend just as a football fan than next week? What do you think, Charles? I think it's awesome. Like when, when the season, when, when the seven playoff teams got announced, I was a little against it because you just had the perfect symmetry, you know, like with the 16 games, four division winners, two wildcard spots, six playoff teams per conference. Like it just felt so right. And seven is kind of an ugly number unless Michael Vick is wearing it. So (laughs) I was, I, I was against it at first, but then like my mind flipped completely when I saw the wildcard schedule and you know, it, it's going to be a little bit extra work for us, but as a football fan, like you're sitting there from, uh, what, like one, like if you're on Eastern time right. from like, like noon to midnight of just high stakes games and like really good players all over the league. Like it's, it's, I think, I think it's going to be an absolute blast. So do right. I. Yeah. I, uh, I, I like college football or college basketball, uh, but most people don't until the tournament and then they're like oh i can't wait to make my bracket picks and i can't wait to well, like we we can't underestimate just like if you give people a huge block of sports and like give them an excuse to f off from the rest of life like they actually enjoy that uh they do it for the olympics too people are like oh i'm gonna about to watch this uh this cross-country skiing here that's on and then i'll, I'll catch up on some figure skating can't wait for the short track speeds like if you just give people a bunch of sports uh they they like it no matter what, but if you give them the best sport, <laughs> the best and most interesting <laughs> sport, it's uh, it should should be really fun. Uh, I don't know how it's going to be for us trying to follow. <laughs> I was going to say, with that said, by Sunday night, I'm going to be like ready to just die. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot. But uh, you guys, you guys have been looking at film, looking at numbers, trying to get ready, uh, trying to preview these games uh and one way we did this uh you know we've got a, a couple pieces up uh, for the win uh, ftw.usatoday.com uh but yeah, the one that we dropped thursday is the position battles that will shape each nfl wildcard playoff game so you guys basically homed in on one uh position battle per game and why you think that'll sort of dictate how the game is played. Uh, we're just going to go uh, chronologically. So the first game of the weekend, the Saturday one o'clock game is the Colts bills. And uh, this was you, right? Steven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I should have known when I saw DeForest Buckner's name in the headline. Uh, so you picked Colts defensive tackle DeForest Buckner versus the bills interior line. Uh, why do you see this as the most important matchup here? Well, for one, I think the the matchup on the other side, like the Colts offense versus the Bills defense is kind of I think it's like kind of a wash. And I don't know if that's really going to decide the game. I think we know what to expect out of that matchup. Like Phil Rivers is going to throw a bunch of short passes. He's going to keep the chains moving. They're going to score some touchdowns. He might throw a pick. But like we pretty we're not going to be surprised by what happens. But the other side of the ball with this dynamic offense versus this defense that has put up good results in a way that I don't think like a lot of people that watch film appreciate like it, Chuck, if you had to describe their approach in one word, what would it be for the bills? No, for the, uh, the Colts. Oh, the Colts, uh, the defense, like, the Colts defense just, I don't know. Just don't play man. And uh, we're going to hide our cornerbacks, I guess for the most part. Yeah. So it's like, they're, it's like a cowardly approach. <laughs> to defense, if I'm being honest, like they're playing these soft zones, and it, maybe they've dabbled more in other coverages in this, this year, but that, like that's like the main thing, and that doesn't work if you don't have a pass rush. And the Colts, 
best pass rusher is DeForest Buckner. And I think he's a player that affects so like other people on the defensive line that if he has a great game, the whole pass rush is going to have a great game. Like he's not a, an edge rusher on his own who, who doesn't really affect what's happening for the three technique on the other side of the line. Like I think teams set their protections based on where DeForest Buckner lines up. And one of the things that has really improved for the bills over the last month when they've been scoring like 40 points a game is their protections. Like they've been picking up everything. Like you right. throw blitz at blitzes at them. They're picking it up. And that's why Josh Allen has all day to throw. But DeForest Buckner is just this, like he's like a skeleton key that like unlocks so many things for that defense and that pass rush that I think if he has a dominant game, it's not going to look like what it's looked like for this bill's offense over the last month. I think it's going to look more like what we saw in the middle of the year when Josh Allen kind of took a step back. He, he eventually rebounded obviously over the last month, but he wasn't playing great quarterback in that middle third of the season. And I think Buckner has the capability to impact him in a way that makes him play like that. Right. You have the stat in here that uh, he's completing 79 Josh Allen's completing 79% of his passes when unbothered by the pass rush, uh, which is incredible. Like, I mean, cause he really was not that at like his, like uh, we're going to be talking about this for a while, how much his accuracy improved on those plays. Cause he was not an accurate quarterback a year ago. So he fixed something and that's worthy of praise, but he's completing less than 50% of his passes when he's pressured. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty clear formula uh, for how you bother Josh Allen and, and get him off his game. And if, if Buckner can do that, uh, I, I wonder about the, the Colts, uh, you know, we criticized them early in the season for running too much on early downs and uh, especially because they did not seem to really know who their running back was and, and how they wanted to approach the running game. And Jonathan Taylor has now just become a monster. Uh, so how does that matchup look? Uh, the Bills run defense. Can they force Phillip Rivers into having to do more to move this offense? Well, the Bills run defense has kind of been an issue for a couple of years now. So. Yeah, right. I think it is an exploitable thing the Colts can can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, just looking at uh, Ben Ballard's numbers uh, on rbsdontmatter.com, a deplorable name for a website, but <laughs> the content is good. Uh, the Bills are ranked uh, 22nd in Russian EPA this year. So, you know, I, I think that part of Jonathan Taylor's hot streak over the past, you know, month of the season, or even if it's a full month, has kind of been due to the defense that he's been playing. Uh, you know, Raiders, Texans, Jaguars, those are some of the worst defenses in the league but he's not getting a huge tough test this week on on saturday like i, I personally i think that the more that i think about this trade or not, not that's trade but the more i think about this game is i think the colts like have a, a chance of actually mm. uh maybe you know at, at least covering the spread i think uh yeah. just because they can they can sit on the ball with jonathan taylor and if, if philip rivers is on like he's still one of the better quarterbacks right. in the league at, at this point in his career like i think that his season this year was a little bit underrated mainly because people don't give a crap about the colts and they're not that fun to watch but uh if he gets if he gets hot on saturday then you know things can get a little frisky and i, I think that this game has like real shootout potential where you're talking about two of the best offensive coaches in the league, two of the better quarterbacks in the league. And, uh, you know, you got Jonathan Taylor and, you know, the way that the Colts like to play defense kind of 
I, I think it it, it kind of helps Josh Allen because he's just going to let it rip and find these tight holes. And, and Stefan Diggs is, is just perfect against this defense. Yeah, the over-under on this is 51, which is the second highest of the weekend. The Titans-Ravens game is like 54 and a half, I think. Uh, so you are not alone in expecting a lot of points. Do you know what this game kind of reminds me of is like the Colts going into Kansas City last year and they controlled the, the clock on the ground. They they actually played man coverage and it worked, but that's mostly because Tyree Kill wasn't there. But that's the kind of game plan they need to have. And we've seen them pull it off before against arguably a better team. So I'm, I'm not counting them out. Yeah, so. the, uh, the, the line is six and a half. Buffalo is favored by six and a half. Uh, give me your actual predictions. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I have the Colts covering that. Uh, I think that's, that's not a... that's not uh, out of the question at all, but I'm wondering, are either of you actually picking an upset here? No, Uh, (laughs) I, I I have Colts cover bills win. Yeah. Uh, Like even with everything I just said, I still think I might be picking the the bills to cover. I don't know, but I think, yeah, I think it will be played around that, that margin, like a seven point margin where maybe it's like, the Bills have a 14 point lead, but the Colts keep answering, but can never like get right. with it, like never tie it up. Yeah, makes sense. All right, let's go to Rams Seahawks. That's the uh, 440 game on Saturday. And uh, this one is uh, the matchup here. I don't, this might I, like the, the two premier players in this matchup. Uh, this is one of the most fun of the year, I think. And that's DK Metcalf and Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Charles sort of approached this from in the entirety, the Seahawks wide receivers and the Los Angeles Rams defensive backs. Uh, I love your little bit about Darius Williams in here. Cause I mean, he's obviously so overshadowed and he's sort of the polar opposite of Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey's like this physical freak who you cannot believe he's like as big and as strong and as fast as he is. And Williams is the opposite. Like he looks like he should not be able to make plays and he just does. Cause he's so technically sound. Uh, but take me through this matchup. Why you think this is really the key to this game, Charles? Uh, it just because I think that this is where, like, outside of Russell Wilson, this is probably where the most talent resides. Just in the, uh, um, in, in the whole game, like, we, we're not not even just DK Metcalf versus Jalen Ramsey, which is obviously like the big star matchup. But you also have, uh, you know, Darius Williams going against Tyler Lockett and Troy Hill going against Moore. Uh, it, it it's just a it's a really fun matchup. Like when you look at how. Like you have the big physical matchup in DK Metcalf and Jalen Ramsey, like just two size, strength, speed uh, aliens. And then uh, Darius Williams has like really come on this year. Like when you watch him on tape, like the, the week 10 game that they played against Seattle, uh, he had two interceptions and then another one that was brought back for an offsides. And like all of them are just he, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the fast guy out there. And, you know, it's kind of football cliche, but like the nuance and just understanding of where to be has, has really, really raised the floor of that Rams pass defense, which has been the best in the league this year. It's like when you pair him with Jalen Ramsey and then Troy Hill, who has been an absolute animal too. I mean, that cornerback trio going against that receiver trio, I think is, is going to make the game. And it's not just like about the skill levels there. It's also like the matchups. And I know that like Kyle Shanahan has talked about, you want to build your wide receiver room to be 
uh, like a basketball team. And I think that's kind of what Seattle has done. And that's what the Rams have like maybe inadvertently done on defense at cornerback. So I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to watch this matchup. I think it's going to be an absolute blast. And uh, I, I kind of feel like whoever gets the edge in that department is going to end up winning the game for them. Uh, the Seahawks are a three and a half point favorite here. Uh, you know, obviously we talked about the quarterback situation for the Rams in our last segment. I want to be clear on the timeline. We recorded that segment on Wednesday, uh, literally why the world was on fire. Uh, and we are recording this segment today on Thursday. So we have a little bit more information. Golf apparently was limited in practice yesterday. Uh, so I, I guess maybe my question for you guys now is, like, where is the inflection point on uh, if Jared Goff can't throw as well as Jared Goff usually can throw? And we just went over that's he can throw the ball. He is a good thrower of the football. That's what Jared Goff does well. But if he can't actually do that because of the thumb surgery, is is there any point where playing Wolford is, is a better option? Like, how do you make that decision if you are Sean McVay? I. I I don't know. Maybe have him run like a, a few of those play action passes and try to throw those deep crossers in practice. And if he can't make them, then like, like what else is Derek Goff good for beyond that is my question. And I think that's what you're getting at. If he can't throw those pretty balls that he, we know he's capable of throwing. It's not like he's going to be able to make up for his physical deficiencies with his mental approach, like a Philip Rivers or Ben Roethlisberger or, or Peyton Manning at the end of his career. So that, I think that's a great question. And I, I mean, I think even if it's just like 85% of what Jared Goff usually is, then maybe Wolford's the guy, or maybe he should at least play a couple of not drives, but, you know, have a package like Taysom Hill kind of has. It, it would obviously look different and be different plays, but I think Wolford has that type of ability where it would give the Seahawks defense problems. They've never had to consider when going up mm-hmm. against the Rams and the Rams are a team that has given that have given them a lot of problems over the years. Yeah, I I, I sort of see a possibility where that is the approach is that they're going to use two quarterbacks and see if they can make it work. Uh, Charles, what else are you looking at in this game? How do you feel about uh, the actual final outcome? Seahawks three and a half. Uh, I like the Seahawks. I. Uh... Because I feel like the teams are so close, and I think the the spread resembles that. And uh, if I like when I when I get stuck on picks like these, uh, I usually just tend to go with the better quarterbacks. And uh, I think that Russell Wilson is probably better than Derek Goff and John Wolford combined. So uh, <laughs> I'll I'll roll with the Seahawks on this one, Stephen. Well, I picked the Rams when we did our picks for the postseason, so I I feel like I got to stick with that. And but that was before I knew that there was even going to be a question about golf's thumb or whatever it is. But I'm going to stick with the C, uh, the Rams anyway because I believe in Sean McVay. And this last time they played, I think it was Week 16, was really the first time that defense had success against McVay in the last couple of years. But I think they did some different things to take away staple concepts for the Rams. And I have trust in McVay to come back with counters to that. And as long as whoever plays that quarterback can make the throws, which is a, a big if, then I think the Rams put up enough points to outscore an offense that has just been so disjointed. And Russell Wilson hasn't really looked good in a couple months. And I mean, he's capable of flipping the switch too. So I could be wrong there. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm going to go with the Rams just because of the coaching matchup for me. The Rams have the advantage. Tough one. Uh, the Saturday night game is Buccaneers 
uh, versus the Washington football team. Um, this was a Charles pick again, and he went with the football team's wide receivers versus Tampa Bay's uh, defensive backs. You you start off here with by mentioning that the Tristan Wirfs versus Chase Young Montez Sweat duo will be more fun, uh, but that this this matchup will be more impactful. Uh, so break down what you're seeing here. Uh, I think Terry McLaurin is probably maybe the most underrated player in the league. Uh, he's really, really good. Uh, so uh, tell me what you see here, Charles, and how it's going to sort of dictate how this game is played. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I, I kind of came back to when I was thinking about this is, like you said, Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat is going to be uh, versus Tristan Wirfs, I think it's going to be a lot more fun to watch. But when you're just looking at Washington's offense, and we know like the limitations that they've had at the quarterback position all year, like not even just the Dwayne Haskins stuff, but uh, Kyle Allen didn't play particularly well before he got hurt. Uh, Alex Smith has not played well at all this year. And I think if they, if they just are going to – get like really any type of scoring going and and kind of keep this thing moving in the right direction during the game. I think the receivers are just going to have to play such a, a big role uh, during the game. And, you know, like you said, Terry McLaurin, I think he can hold his own against most cornerbacks in the league. Whether or not the ball gets to him is another story, but I think that he's like legitimately one of the best route runners uh, in the league. So like I feel good about him going to the matchup against the Bucks cornerbacks, which have been, you know, a little inconsistent over the back half of the season. Uh where it gets kind of shaky is like beyond him, where where you have guys like Cam Sim starting and honestly I forgot the third receiver that kind of gets playing tough for them. So uh <laughs> that's uh that that's kind of how I feel about Washington's receivers. And I think that it, it's just gonna be huge for them to just get anything going because you know you know that Todd Bowles already loves to blitz. He's got a quarterback that can't really move anymore. Uh, going against that, like he's going to like force the action on Alex Smith, and uh, in order for them to to get points and move the ball down the field, I think the onus is really going to be on the receivers to get open quickly and get open efficiently. All right, uh, all right, guys. Over under on Alex Smith's air yards. I'm setting it at four and a half. (laughs) Wait, let me see. Let me find what it was for the season to give you guys an idea of what he's been doing. It's 5.2 for the season. 5.2? Yeah, for this whole season. So four and a half against the Bucs, against a blitz-heavy defense where he's going to want to get the ball out quick. What do you guys think? Yeah, Uh, I'm going under. Yeah, under. I think it might be like two and a half, to be honest. <laughs> like, and that's not even me making a joke. Like, I seriously think that it might be two and a half because he's had games like that. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's playing on half a leg. It's not like he's going to bolt and buy himself time. So. But if they are blitzing, like, that just, like, adds to Charles's point about McLaren. Like, they're going to be leaving those corners on an island and – I don't know if I'd want to leave my corner on an island against him. He's going to get open, and it's just whether the quarterback can get him the ball. It's like Allen Robinson, Robinson situation where, like, it's he is underrated. Like you said, he's one of the more underrated receivers. But I think everyone knows he's good. It's just, like, such a shame that he's playing with these quarterbacks. Yeah, that's probably – that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> Tampa Bay is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Any chance that the football team covers? Uh, I don't think so. 
I, I, I just I don't think they, I don't think they put up the points to do it. Now, I, I do think like like Brady is going to have a tough time against that defense because like the, the Washington's defense is really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not only their their front four uh, like John Allen has a great season. Chase Young obviously is probably going to rookie of the year. We already talked about Montez Sweat, but even on the back end, when you look at Cam Curl, who's a rookie, was like outstanding for them in the box this year, and uh, the other safety, Jeremy Reeves, has been really good too. So like it's not going to be uh i don't i don't think that tampa bay is just going to walk down the field and score a whole bunch of points but i just on the flip side i just don't really see how washington gets into the end zone that often right like what tampa bay can score 17 points and still cover right right which might be what happens and the one thing the one concern i have for the bucks offense is and i think this kind of like speaks to you saying that chase young and montez sweat versus tristan Wirfs is a might be a fun matchup but it might not matter as much as that brady kind of negates your edge rushers just because he gets rid of the ball so quickly and i think he's going to have to get rid of the ball even quicker this week and the bucks offense hasn't been good about yards after catch which was always a thing in new england like they got a lot of yak so that might be an issue in this game in particular because he is going to have to get rid of the ball in a hurry. Yep. Agreed. But I'm still picking the Bucks to cover. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go to Sunday. Ravens-Titans opens uh, up the play on Sunday. And uh, Titans ended the Ravens season, a promising season last year. Uh, and again, beat the Ravens this season in overtime on that Derrick Henry run uh, in one of the better games of the season, I think. Uh, but the Ravens addressed uh, what happened last year in in the playoffs when they lost to the Titans by sci- by getting Calais Campbell in the offseason. And then Campbell could not play against the Titans. Uh, and actually, the Ravens had a bunch of injuries on the defensive line uh, for that game. And the Titans eventually exploited it. Uh, so that was your pick is the Ravens defensive line versus Titans offensive line. Steven, uh, take me inside this matchup this this time around. Campbell is he has been a little bit limited. I don't even think he practiced yesterday. Uh, so it's not 100 percent sure. I don't know how healthy he's going to be, but uh, assuming he plays, that's a really key spot in this game. I, yeah, it's always the key for the Titans, uh, just being able to win in the trenches. And in last playoff game, they dominated on both sides of the ball. That was really an underrated storyline because everyone was focused on Lamar, whether he was a, capable of winning the playoffs, even though he put up like 500 yards. But the Ravens were just bullied on both sides of the ball. And it was more important on, on defense, obviously, because Derrick Henry just ran through that Ravens defense last year. I, I just I think Derrick Henry is going to have a good game, and Campbell's injury or his limit limited uh, availability is a concern. But I think the Ravens' defense as a whole is better against the run this year, and you can see it in the numbers. They're better by DVOA, by EPA, and the Titans are a little bit worse at run blocking. I know they they lost Jack Conklin, and that might have something to do with it. But they dropped down to. I think they're 17th in ESPN's uh, run block win rate, and which is obviously below average. So there's not an advantage there. And I really think that's the advantage that decided the game last year. And if it's more of a – even if it's even this, this year and the Ravens don't have an advantage, I still think it's a win for the Ravens because of how they play defense on third downs. And because we've seen this passing game, the Titans passing game, struggle on third down when – that thread of the play action pass or the run isn't there. And 
Tannehill kind of has to play quarterback and hold on to the ball a little longer. That's when he gets into trouble when he has to hold on to the ball. And against a, a, a Wink, Martin t- Wink Martindale defense, I think that's going to really be a problem. Charles, how do you feel about this one? Baltimore is actually a three and a half point favorite. And like I said, uh, high over under 54 and a half. Uh, so people yeah. are expecting an exciting game here. Yeah, I, I think that I think Baltimore wins this game. I, mainly just because I feel like Tennessee's defense is just not. I don't think it's up to par with what the Baltimore Ravens have been putting out on offense recently. And I I know that if you look at Lamar's recent games, it's not exactly uh, murderous row in terms of uh, who they're playing. But, uh, you know, Browns, Jaguars, Giants, Bengals, and they've put up a bunch of points against those and he's looked really good. But uh, I, I get why some people might be skeptical at the production that he's put up, but uh, it, it's kind of like the same thing with the Jonathan Taylor versus Buffalo stuff. It's not like he's about to get the toughest uh, test in the world. And I think it's a, it's a defense that he can exploit. So I, I feel pretty comfortable with picking the Ravens. I, I like Tennessee's defense is not, uh, it's not as good as it was last year. And if you just, if you just need to get into a shootout, uh, I think that that Baltimore can outscore Tennessee just kind of based off the strengths of those defenses. I, I think, or it, maybe just as a Lamar fan, I hope that uh, Baltimore's defense can play a little bit better against Derrick Henry than they did last year. And uh, hopefully Lamar in the Ravens offense just don't shoot themselves in the foot like they did last year. Um, I mean, you think you're talking about last year's playoff game. I think the Ravens had seven or eight drops on like some pretty good passes that definitely would have turned to tie that game. Uh, the Ravens were un- uncharacteristically bad on uh, fourth and one in that game uh, like where they just couldn't convert, where they easily converted all season. Uh, and it, it was just kind of one of those games like where the one game sample just kind of screws you in every way that you're used to winning during the season. And uh, I, in the Ravens end losing that game, but like Lamar Jackson still have 500 yards of total offense in that game, which is, you know, when, when you, you go back and you, you look at the, some of the discourse in that playoff game, like, man, like if Lamar <laughs> wasn't even on the field, they probably would have lost like 40 points. Uh, and I, I just think that he's kind of playing at the level again right now. And hopefully he can get a little bit more help from his skill guys this time around. Yeah. I think people like took the, the wrong lessons from that game. Like they pointed to it as like some, statement on Lamar's career as a whole and his future when it was really just a fluke game where they dropped the passes. Like you said, they've, I think they got stuffed on like three, fourth downs and obviously Derrick Henry had a big game. And I like, I've been someone that's given credit to Dean Pease for his game plan, but like if the Ravens don't drop passes and they convert on fourth down, no one's commending the Tennessee defense for that game. Right. And I think, None of those – I don't think they're going to catch all those breaks this time around, and the Ravens, who I think have been a better team for most of this season, will win this game. All right. Uh, Bears-Saints is the 440 game. We got a we got a double-digit line here, and it doesn't even involve the team from the NFC East. Uh, the, the Saints are a 10-point favorite in this one. Uh, Charles, you had the pick here, and you went with the New Orleans Saints linebackers versus the Chicago Bears – 
running backs and, and David Montgomery in particular. Uh, <laughs> if you heard our, our segment just a, a few minutes ago on Mitch Trubisky, you you know how we feel about his ability to elevate this offense. So uh, take me through this, uh, what, what you need, you know, how Montgomery could be the guy that would push the Bears into being competitive here. Yeah, I think that Allen Robinson is the best player on the Bears offense. I think most people will, will probably agree with that. But like the, the thing that, that I pointed out was Allen Robinson is still dependent on Mitch Trubisky figuring out what Dennis Allen is throwing at him and the Saints defense is throwing at him to get Allen Robinson the ball. So I don't have a lot of whole I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in uh, that matchup working out for the Bears. So I uh, just went with. Uh, Dave Montgomery versus the Saints linebackers because, you know, I, I got to give credit where credit, credit is due. I wasn't a big Dave Montgomery fan coming out of the draft, but uh, he had a damn good season. It was like really yeah, one of the only bright spots on the Bears offense. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think he's like maybe like the only real factor where they can do damage on offense in this game because the Saints defense is really good. Tomorrow Davis is one of the best linebackers in the league. And uh, just the way that defense is constructed schematically is pretty, pretty impressive. So uh, I, I think that, you know, it, it's just going to have to be some gritty uh, Dave Montgomery is going to find whatever is in the pit of his soul and just churn out a <laughs> performance against uh, the Saints. If the Bears are going to have a chance to win, but like, it sucks because if you're the Bears, you're like, all right, well, our matchup is going to be uh, David Montgomery against the Bears linebackers and then against the Saints linebackers. And then uh, we just got we just need David Montgomery to keep pace with Sean Payton and Drew Brees and Taysom Hill and all those guys. <laughs> and like, like it, it, it's going to be really tough. But I think that that that's like the biggest avenue of hope I see for the Bears to potentially pull off the upset. Like David Montgomery just blacks out and goes crazy. Yeah, and to your point, the Saints play like a lot of too high. I think they might play it as much as – I think there might be third place behind the Rams and the Bears. And if if Montgomery has a big game, they might be able to get him out of that and get him out of their comfort zone in pass coverage. And then the linebackers, I think, are very important because of how much the Bears have leaned on play action. And play action affects those second-level defenders most. So if the Saints' defense can remain – sound against those play action fakes, I think it's going to be a hard time for Mitch. So I'm taking the Saints, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, taking the Saints for sure. I mean, we're talking about our running backs, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> when Yeah, when your great hope is a running back then, and it's not Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb, then yeah, you're, you're doomed. <laughs> Uh, and the final game of the weekend is the Browns Steelers rematch. Uh, Pittsburgh's a six point favorite here after losing to the Browns with their JV team. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about this one other than, you know, the Pittsburgh is actually going to have players. And one of them is TJ Watt and getting pressure on Baker Mayfield a lot. Like, uh, Josh Allen, we talked about earlier, like that, changes everything and tj watt does that uh so that's your selection here steven uh watt versus mayfield you, you got super granular with this one uh the the watt versus mayfield particularly uh how do you see this unfolding and uh you know you talking here about throwing away the tape uh from week 17 and and how differently the the steelers generally approach defense than how they did in that that wash that game that really didn't matter. Uh, so what do you, what do you expect to see here? 
Yeah, the best way to describe their defensive game plan on last Sunday was like a preseason game plan where they were only playing a couple of coverages. They're pretty basically they're playing two man. They were doing some switching and Kevin Stefanski was really took advantage of that. And he's gone now. And TJ Watt is back now. Like it's the Browns are losing their best asset. I think he's probably their best asset. Maybe it's Miles Garrett, but on offense, he's definitely the best asset they have. And the Steelers are getting back their best defensive asset. And this is a matchup where the Browns barely won. Like if, if one defensive lineman doesn't tip a ball near the red zone, it, Baker Mayfield's probably throwing an interception and that this the result is probably flipped and the Steelers actually win this game. Right. So I really think it comes down to how Baker plays because I don't think he played really well in the in this last game. And if we see a similar performance where the process isn't good but the results were fine, I think we're going to see some regression to the mean where the results kind of match up with the, the process. And it might be one of those games where Baker – where we question whether he's the answer long-term for them. And by we, I mean like the general population, because I'm already questioning that. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Uh, Charles, what do you think about this one? Uh, man, it just like, I, I want to pick the Browns to get this done, but like I, no Stefanski, no Joe Batonio sucks. And honestly, I feel horrible for Joe Batonio. I mean, man, yeah, one in 15, oh, and 16. And yeah. You, you, you miss out on the first playoff game. Like, hopefully they can get that dub just for him so you can get a chance to play in the playoffs this year because, you know, it, it's – I say this as a Falcons fan. There's no guarantee you're ever going to be back there. So, uh, I I think that just with those two losses, like, those are pretty big losses. And I still think that the Browns can cover the spread, but I'm not as comfortable in my pick – because I picked them to win earlier this week. Uh, I think that's going to be – little bit more difficult uh without those two guys uh available to help uh during the game but uh i just don't think that ben roethlisberger is going to do enough here to actually you know cover the spread so i'm going to take the uh browns to cover the spread steelers to win in the cowards pick yeah i'm picking the steelers but i'm rooting for the browns not just because betonio but i just think they're like a more entertaining team than the steelers to watch I mean, Baker has his flaws, but he'll throw the ball downfield on like Ben. <laughs> and I think also the the Browns win and the Ravens win. Then we get Ravens Bills next week, and that's the game I really want to see in the playoffs yeah. this year. So I'm rooting for the Browns this week, but I'm picking the Steelers just because everything that's going against the Browns this week and the things I've said earlier. There you go. Uh, we got a, cu- a couple things coming the rest of the week. Uh, I know it's. Uh, Already midday Thursday, but uh, you guys are going to do play some Madden. You may have heard us talk about PS5 on this podcast, uh, but now that Charles has his safely in hand, uh, him and Steven are going to face off uh, on Twitch. Uh, you can follow the, those guys on Twitter. Uh, Charles is at Fourverts. Steven's at the Steven Ruiz. I'm sure they'll be tweeting about the matchup. Uh, and then we're going to do a, a couple more breakdowns. One reason each team could win uh, the, the Super Bowl and uh, and one reason that they won't, essentially. So we're going to kind of take a look at best case and worst case scenarios. And then we have a couple more things coming on mismatches. Uh, and then we'll be around Saturday and Sunday, you know, follow us. I'm, I'm at Chris Corman on Twitter. We'll be covering these games. We'll have lots of posts over at, uh, for the win FTW at USA today.com. Uh, how do you guys want to close it out? 
uh, last last thought before we head into this six game weekend? Uh, don't storm the Capitol building if you can avoid that. Try not to insurrect the government. Yeah. Terrorism is bad. <laughs> I was planning on going on going up the street and raiding the Capitol today. Now I got to find new plans. <laughs> they, well, they put they put fencing up now, so there's ah oh, damn. Oh. Yeah, they, 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 they're they're ready. They're ready for the day after President Trump called for people to uh, to riot. So, you know, it's good. It's good yeah. I'll, also, I'll give a, you know, as a, someone who's a fan of a team that's going through a, a head coach and general manager search right now, whoever your your team hires uh, will do a great job and uh, they won't mess up at all. And your team will be in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I'm just giving that, uh, uh, you know, giving some good luck to all my fellow fans in despair. Nothing but I, hope. Nothing but I, hope this time. Nothing but nothing. hope. I disagree. They're going to fail. They're going to be the next Adam Gase <laughs> and Bill O'Brien. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for joining us here at The Counter. Uh, we'll talk to you on Monday morning. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.